All right, so here's the deal, folks. I've got a story for you. And it goes like this. We had our first class today. Sat down in front of our computers. Talked for about three hours. Had some breaks. Blah, blah, blah. After that, that was done, I went out and I sat on my porch to think. Which is not an abnormal thing. Normally, when we would have class like we used to, when we'd all come together and you know meet in a room on the main campus... After the class was over, I would get into my car and I would drive home. And the drive home, you know, it 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 provided me with with time and space within which I could kind of reflect upon and think about the class that I just did with all of you. And by the time I got home, forty five minutes later, because I live in Palatine, uh, I had thought through stuff and I was ready to like you know hang out with uh, my family. Well, today, you know, uh, class is over and I didn't have a 45-minute drive. And so I just went out and I'm going to chill out on the porch, sit there and kind of like have a think. You think about things. And as I'm doing that, uh, my wife, she sees it and she's like, she sees me and she, she's like, you all right? I must have had a look. You know, she's like, you all right? Because people don't ask you, are you okay if they don't think that you're not, right? <laughs> that, that's, that's one of the things that I, I believe. And uh, I looked at her and I pointed to my head. And I said, really big things happening up here. And she kind of laughed at that point. She knew that it was okay. And uh, she, she asked how the class went. And I said, I think it went pretty good, all things considered. You know, doing distance learning isn't uh, my, my first choice, but it's what we're doing. So, you know, I think it went okay. And uh, that's, that's my story. I told you that story. That's my warm-up. So now that I've warmed up a little bit, let's start playing some introduction music to get us in the mood for a lecture. And you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack. And you may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get Thank you, Talking Heads. Now, as that music fades out and I fade in, uh, I'm going to tell you that I have constructed a plan for this week's podcast lectures. Here's the plan. I'm going to record two of them. The one that you're listening to now, right the second, this is the first of the two. And this is going to be the podcast where I sort of like look back at the class that we just had and... Uh, I notice that there's some holes, some things that I wish that I, I would have had a chance to maybe talk about more, and I didn't have a chance to talk about them, so I'm going to talk about them now. Uh, and I, I thought about it right? when I was out on the porch thinking about stuff. Like one of the things I was thinking about is, do I really need to talk about these things? And I've decided that um, I might not need to, but I, I really want to. And so I'm going to talk to you about some of these sort of like remainder things, these things that are kind of rattling around in my brain pan, uh, wanting to be expressed in some way, shape, or form after we had our first class. So that's going to be the first lecture of this one. And then if the plan goes well, later on, some point this week, I will record another lecture, another podcast lecture. And that second podcast lecture will probably be aimed at kind of setting up where we are going for the next class. That's my, my hope. That's my plan anyways. So that sound good to you? It sounds okay to me. Um, it doesn't sound good. It sounds okay. It only sounds okay because uh, this is going to be hard for me. I, you know, I right now my kid is sleeping. He's taking a nap. 
I don't know how long he'll stay asleep, hopefully long enough for me to record this. Um, but you know, I've got a kid, I've got two jobs. So having time to do these things is, uh, not as easy as I'd like to, but I, I, I want to do them. I like doing them. So hopefully everything will go all right. However, sometimes plans don't go the way that we think they will. And, uh, there are four rules that you need to know. Doesn't matter. There are only four rules you need to remember. Make the plan, execute the plan, expect the plan to go off the rails, throw away the plan. For those of you who didn't recognize that audio, let me tell you where that came from. That came from the CWTV show, The Flash, which is a, a TV show, a trashy TV show about superheroes. It's one of my guilty, not guilty pleasures. I really, really like it. I think it's fun. I think it's, it's great. And every now and then, that really bad TV show just drops a nugget of truth like the one that you just heard. All right, so now having having indulged myself with that little audio clip, let's get into the lecture for this week. So... Uh, one of the things I'm harping on a lot in this class, one of the things that I'm hoping we'll be able to spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about are, one, the role of a couples therapist. What is it that a couples therapist does? What is their role? And that was why I have you do the assignment that I'm having you do. And on top of that, what are the principles that animate the work that the couples therapist engages in? Right. That's another thing that I want you to spend a lot of time thinking about and, and doing a little bit of time writing about. However, I don't only want to ask you all to tell me about your view of the role of the couples therapist and to tell me about your principles. I would also, if you don't mind, like to share some of the ways that I view the role of the couples therapist and, and the principles that animate my practice with you. I want to. I don't only want to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. I was unsure if I should do this, right? Because sometimes I find uh, being in the role of a professor, if I share my beliefs and opinions, uh, that can shut people down if they have different opinions than mine or different thoughts than mine. However, you're you're a good group, and I don't think that you would do that. I have every confidence that even if I if I do share something, if it's something that doesn't you know jive with you, if it doesn't doesn't fit if it doesn't work for you if you think it's wrong i think that you'll be able to talk about that and i think that'll be really good so i feel confident that i can do this with you so what i want to do now is i want to explain two principles that kind of animate my work and to, to kind of just tell you what they are and then maybe do a short riff on each of them and then after that's done what i want to do is i want to talk a little bit about how I uh, I use these principles, how these principles animate what I do, how they lead to some kind of a, an attempt to create an intervention of sorts, right? You ready for that? Principle number one of two is, uh, and I touched on this a little bit, I think, in our class, but I want to unpack it a lot more now. Uh, I have talked to a lot of people 
over the years about what uh, about what is the role of the therapist generally and i've talked to people about what is the role of the couples therapist specifically and one of the things that comes up a lot is that the role of the couples therapist is to be loyal to and try to i guess uh save a relationship to to try to make a relationship strong and this is something that well, a lot of people do have that as a principle that matters to them. It's not a principle that matters to me. That's not how I see my role. The way that I see my role um, is is kind of comes from this principle that my loyalty is not to this half of the couple nor that half of the couple, nor to the relationship between them. I believe that the role for me is to be loyal to the truth as I sense it, as I see it, as I believe it to be. That's it. Loyal to the truth as I see it. Now, when I say that, a lot of times people are like somewhat taken aback. And they're like, what what do you mean? Loyalty to the truth as you see it. Well, what I mean is that I believe there is a truth. And I believe that a lot of times in in a couple, a truth about them, about their relationship, gets repressed. Gets relegated to the unconscious. And... When it's there, when it's in the unconscious, it's not like it's gone. It's not like it's been destroyed. It's still there, and it's still affecting the couple in all sorts of different ways. They just don't know what that truth is. And I think that my role is to kind of uh, cut away, to the extent that I can, the, the repression so that that truth might be able to emerge where they can take a look at it. And then who knows what happens, right? They might They might take a look at that truth, and that might make them want to stay together might make them want to uh, commit to each other, recommit to each other, commit to each other in a different way. It doesn't always do that. Sometimes it means that people go, oh my gosh, that that truth coming out means that maybe we should be kind of going our separate ways. We should be breaking up. We should be getting a divorce or or whatever, right? I I don't want to convince people to stay together, nor do I want to convince people to break up or get a divorce. That's not what I think my job is when I'm doing couples work. My job as I see it, my role is to try to create a condition, a set of conditions, a place, a time where people can have a conversation with each other and me and somehow through that conversation have things happen that allow for some kind of a repressed truth to become less repressed and more available to the people so that they can make a choice about it. Now, this might be oldnews.com, but I'm going to try to give you an example of how that looked in, in action. One time I was working with a couple. They were in their, I'd say like mid-30s, I'll say, right? They're in their mid-30s, or maybe early 30s, early to mid-30s, somewhere in there. Say they're like, uh, just to give you some ages here, make it a little bit more concrete. Let's say one half of the couple is uh, 32 and the other one is uh, 35. We'll, we'll put it that way, right? Um, just to give you some numbers here. So that's the ages I'm working with. They're both very successful people. They're both lawyers, in fact, right? They're both lawyers who've managed to kind of create some pretty good lives for themselves from an economic point of view. They live in DuPage County. They're doing good, right? This is the couple. So they come to me, and uh, we, we, we start to talk about their relationship and what brought them in. And, and there's a lot of stuff that comes up. But one of the things that comes up that seems really important is this uh, difference of opinion that they have about something which is really important, and it's should we have kids? So in this, ha- this is a traditional like man woman kind of couple. In this instance, uh, the man really did want to have kids, 
and the the woman was not was saying that they should maybe wait to have kids right the man was saying hey we're getting older uh maybe we should maybe we shouldn't wait and she's saying oh there's still some things we want to do maybe we should so that's one of the things that brings them in here i talked to them and uh, they kind of tell me their story and as they tell me their story you know they met when they were in college and they hit it off and they 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 talked you know into the small hours of the morning and they they were they started dating you know they they graduate they go to law school that's tough they 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 graduate they pass the bar they get jobs you know they're they're doing they're moving and shaking they're they're making it in the world and and they're supporting each other through this and they're supporting each other in really good ways right they're they're really good at supporting each other through this phase of their life and when they first met one of the things that they talked about is they had their talks like going into the small hours of the morning was uh do we ever want to have kids you know as they started to get serious i think they probably had that conversation more than one time couples tend to but they say they had that conversation and in the early phases of their relationship they were both on the same page and that page was the yes we both want to have kids but not until after we've done a whole bunch of other things we want to do a whole bunch of other things prior to having kids we want to uh, graduate college we want to go to law school we want to have successful careers we want to have a certain amount of money you know say we want to own a high, they, they had a whole bunch of stuff that they wanted to do prior to having kids right and they went and they did all those things and uh the, they kept on both thinking oh maybe should we should we they, they said they'd have these conversations every so often do we want to think about having kids and they're like well we, we still got stuff let's let's hold off on that right and so that's what they're doing well, then uh, something bad happened. Um, the husband's mom died unexpectedly. Um, it, no one saw it coming. It, it was a shock, right? And when that happened, it, it had a huge effect on, on him. It made him start thinking about sort of like life differently. It made him start thinking about what he wanted differently. And it made him realize, uh, I guess, more that he, he really w- did want to have kids. He wanted that experience. And he wanted his, his dad to have the experience of being a grandfather too he said he wished he could have had his had kids so but his mom would have had the experience of being a grandmother as well but but since she had passed away it became much more important for him to to want to have kids and his wife is saying like yeah i get that i want that for you i want that for us i think that's a great idea the thing is here i just don't know that this is the right time she'd say that right i just don't know that this is the right time now you'll recall in our class, I talked about the subject of the statement and the subject of the enunciation. The subject of the statement is now is not a good time, or maybe now isn't the best time. That's the statement that she's making. But as she made that statement, I got the impression as I was trying to listen to them in the way that I do, that the subject of the enunciation was different, right? There was something else in that statement, or so it seemed to me as I heard it. So after we had had, I mean, we'd been working together for I want to say two months at the time that this conversation takes place. It might have been more like three, but two or three months, we'll say. And this topic, I mean, there's other things that they're dealing with too. This isn't the only thing they talk about when they come in for sessions, right? This is like one thing amongst other things. And uh, whenever this topic, the topic about should we have kids, should we not have kids comes up, what usually happens is uh, um, the wife in this instance tends to like divert the conversation away from that and towards some other thing uh, that's a problem in their relationship. So this is happening and she goes to 
to sort of do the thing that she does where she's like, Hey, I think that like, here's the, here's the deal. Like, you know, you want to have kids I, and, and, and one day maybe I want to have kids, but, um, here's the deal. Like, have you considered just like how much we're working and like, you've been working a lot lately and you working a lot means that like, I haven't seen you as much and I kind of, you know, so it's now we're talking about this other thing, which is related, but it's also a different thing. And as this is happening, I have a, an idea and I engage in, in an intervention, an intervention, which I believe is my attempt to be loyal to the truth as I see it. And I say, uh, you know, I, I would like to ask both of your permission to uh, make an observation. And they said, sure, go ahead. And I'm like, well, I'm asking your permission instead of just doing it because to me, this seems really important. And I'm not sure that, that it's going to go over great. Never, they're actually really fascinated. Like, oh, please, please tell us. So I'm like, okay, here's the deal. I turn to the, to the wife and I say to her, I'm like, you keep on talking about now is not the right time, blah, 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 blah. And I, that all that may be true. Um, but here's the deal. Like, do you think you'll, that, that a year from now will be the right time? And she said, Oh, maybe. And I'm like, if you had to guess, if, if I, if I, I said, I need a yes or a no. And she's like, probably not. It's like, okay, how about if uh, we go out a little bit farther, five years from now, imagine yourself five years from now, getting pregnant, trying to have a kid. Is that the right time? She's thinking about it. And uh, she's quiet. And uh, I point out that she's quiet. I'm like, you're, you're not answering. And she's like, mm, I, I don't think so. And I said, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to suggest to you both that um, you're just not on the same page here. And you're not going to be. You know, husband guy, you want to have kids. Wife person, you uh, you don't. I think that in this situation, one of you gets what you want, either has has kids or doesn't have kids, and the other one uh, might become bitter or resentful because they don't have what they want. I don't know that that will happen, but I think it's very likely that it, it could happen, right? And uh, they they thought about this for a while, and we, it was sort of near the end of the session, and we, we wrapped it up at that point, and they, they went away. And this is a couple that I saw every two weeks. Two weeks go by, and they come back. And, uh, you know, I, I, I bring them back to my office. We sit down, we talk and I ask them what they would like to talk about this week. And the husband guy says to me, you know, we've been, we've been talking a lot about the thing that you brought up in your last session. And, um, one of the things that we realized is that you're right. We actually don't want the same thing for our future. You know, we did at one point for years now we've wanted the same thing and we've been, been, helping each other get what we want and we've been pretty good at that well you know for whatever reason right now at this point in our lives we don't want the same things anymore we want different things and you know i I want a child she kind of doesn't this isn't something you can find a compromise on there's no compromise for this right and uh they said so we've we've been thinking a ton about this and and you know over the past two weeks i think both of us were trying to find a way to have that not be true but it is true and we think that we're probably going to get a divorce so that was a big deal right um i was i was surprised at this because they were they were a good couple they worked well together like i said and um i was i i mean i don't remember exactly what i said to them in that moment but i said something like like yeah, are, are you sure and they both said yeah yeah, we are. Um, 
It's, we've, and the wife said, you know, I, I think this is something I've known for a long time. I just haven't been able to, to say it. I haven't felt like it's okay to, to have that be true. But it's been true for a long time now, since his mom died. Actually, probably. And uh, they're like, we don't want to do the... They're, they're lawyers, right? Both of them are like, we don't want to do like the brutal, nasty, terrible, like stabbing each other in the back divorce thing here. Um, and we'd actually even like it if you could help us get divorced in a way that, you know, uh, makes the most sense, actually. Could we could we turn this, what we're doing here, from uh, like marriage therapy into divorce therapy? And you know, that was an interesting thing, too, as we went through that. But anyways, this is a, a good story. In this case, the, the couple broke up. Um, but the reason I'm telling it to you is that I think it shows what being loyal to the truth can look like. And it can show you what that, that can affect, what kind of an effect that might have on a couple when you do it. I don't want to make it sound like that is an easy thing to do. This was not an easy thing to do. This is not an easy thing to say. Um, it was hard for me. It's hard for them, I'm sure. But I think it was an important thing to be loyal to the truth as I saw it in that moment. So now what I want to do is give you a, a, a second story around this, right? So different couple I'm working with this time. And uh, this couple comes in. And one of the things that I'll ask a couple actually sometimes or like in session number one, this is just a thing that I do, is uh, I'll say, is is one of you more interested in being here than the other? You know, and uh, I get some interesting responses to that question. This This particular couple... They both said the same thing. The The husband said, I'm more interested in being here. And the wife said, he's more interested in being here. Um, she's like, I, I kind of think I'm done, but we've been married for a long time. And I feel like I do owe it to him and to myself to try everything just to make sure that that we're done. And that's why I'm here, right? But I, I think we're done is kind of what she tells me. And uh, I listen to this couple and they tell me their story. They tell me how they met. They tell me about like their... their um, they, they had raised two kids together, actually. And, you know, the, this was at a point when the kids were, like, leaving the house to go off and start lives of their own. And um, this couple was, was like, the, the wife was like, this has not been the marriage that I've wanted to be in for quite some time. And I think I've, I've been done for a long time. And, I, and now, I, when the kids left, one of the things that I realized was that the only reason I was sticking around in this particular marriage was for my kids. And now, like, they're gone. I don't need to do it. So I, wanna, I want out. And the husband is saying, tell me what, what led you to, to believe this. Help me understand why you feel the way you feel. I want to change if I can. Like, what, what do you need? And she's like, right. anyway, so this is what's going on. And, and uh, one of the things that I do a lot when I work with a couple is I'll do like one to three sessions with them as a couple. Usually, usually two or three. I'm, I can't think of a time actually where I've done one. But anyways, I'll, I'll work a couple of sessions as a couple. And then I'll break the couple apart and I'll do a uh, session with just one half of the couple for one week. And then the next week I do a session with the other half of the couple. And then 
uh, I'll come back and, and do a session together with them. You'll actually read about this in your, your grooming text when you read about Bowenian couples therapy. This is going to be one of the things that's an intervention that they can use. So I'm not going to give you all the details here. Uh, but one of the things that, that happened here is that uh, I, I saw something that I thought was, was true again. And it came up. Uh, I did a session with the wife first. I did a session with the husband second. And during the husband's individual session, I had a, a sense of, of something that seemed really true to me. And I said it. What I said was, you know, what it, what it looks like is happening here to me is that you are trying to hold on to this marriage. You're trying to pull it back to you. You're trying to keep your grip on it for a lot of different reasons. But it seems to me that the more you grip, the more you pull, the harder you grip, the more your wife is desiring to get out of this marriage, right? So it's like your attempt to save it is the thing that's actually like making it break more. And he's like, well, so are you, are you saying I'm supposed to just like give up? And uh, I don't, again, remember exactly what I said, but but I said something along the lines of, uh, I don't know, but I, I do think that maybe you should entertain the possibility that that there isn't a way for you to convince your wife to stay in the ways that you've been trying to. Maybe what you're trying isn't the way. It's just not. It's not working. And um, anyways, I, I, he, he heard me out here. One of the things that happened then is uh, this couple actually did a separation. They separated. She, she actually moved to a different state, and he stayed here. And um, time went by. And, you know, I, I, when that happened, I didn't see the couple anymore because they, they like broke up and, and that was that fast forward, uh, like six months or so, maybe a little bit more than six months down the road, I get a call and it's, it's from the, this couple and they want to come in for a session. And I, I'm, I'm surprised at the time. So I, I bring them in and when they come in, uh, I say, this is, I'm, I'm kind of surprised to see the two of you. I thought that you had ended things. And uh, they they said, well, we did, actually. And then the wife said, here's the thing, though. Like, um, you know, as a re- we were working with you, and, and one of the things that happened is my, you know, I said I wanted to go. And at a certain point, my, my husband said to me, like, uh, you know, one of the things that's come up is that, that I keep on trying to stop you to go, but the more I try to stop you, the more you want to go. So uh, I guess, like, if maybe I can't stop you. And so she's like, you can't. And, and she left and she went to a different state. And when she was in a different state, she said she realized that she had this fantasy of what life would be like if she weren't in the marriage that she was in. And so she went and she moved to this, this, she had family in the state that she moved to. So she moved there and she got ready to like kind of set up this life that she had in her head, this fantasy life that she was thought would be really great. And, you know, she, she actually did it. She, she had her own place. She could focus on her own goals and aspirations. She could uh, engage her, her hobbies without feeling guilty that she wasn't spending time with her, her husband. She could do all the things that she thought would be awesome to do. And here's the thing. They weren't as fun in reality as they were in her head. And so she came back, right? Um, and said, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I, I was wrong. Ultimately, right. So that's an incidence where a couple actually came came together. And again, it, it seems to me like like there's probably more to it than than just what I did here. Like probably a lot more. 
but I tried to tell somebody the truth as I saw it that did have an effect and it, it was an effect that played out over like about half a year it, it, in and in that second story, right, like I was expecting that the couple would break up, but it was weird because that's the thing that brought them together. It's, it's odd. It's paradoxical. Who knew? But that's kind of the way that it worked. Uh, I'm trying to tell you these stories because I want you all to understand why it is that the principle of being loyal to the truth as I see it is in fact so meaningful to me and is one of like the foundational principles for what I happen to see as the role of the couple's therapist. And I hope that sharing the, you know, these stories might have helped do that a little bit. So now let's get into the second principle that I want to talk about. And this one's harder for me to explain than the first one. So if you don't mind, kind of bear with me. We might have to kind of suss this one out over the next couple of weeks together. But I'm going to try to start unpacking it here today. So principle number two, principle number one was be loyal to the truth as you see it. Principle number two is to the extent that we shut down unconscious discourse or unconscious desire, we end up empowering the drive. I'm going to say that again. To the extent that we shut down unconscious discourse or desire, we end up empowering the drive. Having said that, I'm now going to attempt to translate it a little bit. Let's start with the first part. Uh, to the extent that we shut down unconscious discourse or desires. Let, let, let me say a bit about that. So one of the things that I believe is that we have all sorts of desires, all sorts of wishes, all sorts of things that we want, right? Now, some of the things that we want are great things to want. We want them. We tell people we want them. We can talk about what we want and why we want them and how we're going to get them. They're in our conscious mind. No problem. So like you might say to your your uh, members of your cohort, I think I want to do this for my dissertation. I desire to do a dissertation on this topic. Okay, that's great. That's a conscious desire, okay? But we all have unconscious desires too. And what are unconscious desires? Unconscious desires are the things that we want. We really want them. Sometimes we want them really bad, but for some reason we can't allow ourselves to admit to ourselves that we want that thing. It, it would be, if we admitted this, then we would um, not be able to see ourselves in the same way. We'd have to totally like revise our, our opinion of ourselves, revise the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. If we recognized this particular desire to be true. So like in the, the story that I told you, uh, a repressed, the first story about the lawyer couple, uh, the wife in that story had a, a desire that she wanted. And that was a desire to not have kids, to just be like a professional, uh, free of any responsibilities of being a parent. However, that, that wasn't, I don't think that she knew that that's what she wanted, right? She was, uh, kind of saying over and over again, I, I do want to have kids just not now. And that, that was uh, because that, that truth that I, I actually just don't want to have them ever, that had been repressed. And it, maybe it was repressed because, you know, she thought it was selfish or unfair for her to want that. But that is what she wanted, right? So it was, it was kind of like repressed into her unconscious. And as I've said in, in the past, when something is repressed in the unconscious, 
it's not dead. It's not destroyed. It's not gone. It's there. And it continues to have an effect. We just don't, don't get what's happening ultimately, right? So our unconscious is not comprised of just like one singular standalone desire. Our unconscious is all of the desires, all of the wishes that we have that are disconcerting and destabilizing to us. They all get pushed down there. And the thing is, they start to have a conversation with each other. They have a discourse going on in our unconscious. And the, the more desires that we pack down there, the, the, a lot of times they they kind of line up, right? So like, um, uh, this isn't something that, that I'm just using this as an example here. I don't know that this is the case with the, the lawyer woman that I was talking about. Maybe she also had another uh, desire and that desire was to get a divorce. Maybe that, uh, maybe she had the desire to, um, uh, get lots of money who, who knows. Right. And, and all of those things could be repressed together and they'll kind of like team up in concert and sort of like wreak havoc in her, her life in some way, shape or form. Right. So that's the idea. So we have unconscious discourse. The, the discourse is the discourse of all the desires that we've repressed. They're all down there hanging out, having a party, talking to each other uh, and stuff. Right. So the, if, and if we try to keep them repressed, if we try to keep them in the unconscious, what ends up happening is we empower something which I'm going to call the drive. And the drive is a lot more difficult for me to describe, but I'm going to do my best here. Uh, this kind of comes from from Freud. So Freud, this is a bit of a review for you for comps, right? Maybe I'll ask you a question about Freud. Maybe I'm, I'm going to talk about Freud right now. Maybe one day I'll ask you a question about it. I don't know. I don't know. Might happen. Might not. Might. Um, anyways, so Freud has this idea, the pleasure principle. The pleasure principle is that people like doing things that are pleasurable. And we like doing things that are pleasurable because when we do pleasurable things, um, they, they help us survive, right? So like breathing air is pleasurable. It helps us survive. Going to sleep and sleeping enough hours is pleasurable. It helps us stay alive. Eating food is pleasurable. It helps us stay alive, so on and so forth. However, around 1920, Freud um, backs away from this idea that the pleasure principle is the thing that kind of governs our life. And he, he has this idea that there's something else here and it's called the drive. And the drive goes beyond the pleasure principle. The, pl- the drive is that we want more than we need. Uh, this is something which Freud thought was kind of unique to human beings and made them different from other animals in the world. Um, here's the thing though. When we engage our drive, our drive is always destructive. Uh, our drive is the thing that, uh, so our, our, our instinct, the pleasure principle would say, you know, eat enough calories so that your body can stay healthy. The drive would say, you know, take advantage of that coupon from Domino's and, and order three pizzas. That that's the drive. Um, uh, the, the pleasure principle would say, Hey, you know, go to bed at a reasonable time, wake up at a reasonable time to do all the things you need to do. The drive would say, why don't you take a three hour nap <laughs> in the middle of the day? Right. Um, even if you kind of like don't need to do it anyway, right. That, that's the drive here. Sometimes the drive might be more associated, I suppose with the it, um, the drive always has a destructive thing. And I, and there's a, a reason for this. Like Freud also thought that, that we all were, that, that the drive was trying to kill us. Um, uh, and, and that the reason it was trying to kill us is that, that it wanted us to go back to a time when there was no tension in our lives, which was the time before we were born. And the way to get there is by dying uh, and all that. But anyways, that's, that's not important for the couples class. That's, that's maybe a conversation for a different day. The, the point I'm trying to make here is that when we shut down unconscious discourse and the way that we shut it down is by preventing people from talking about the thing, which is really, really weird or 
really, really um, unacceptable or really, really um, off-putting when we are like, yeah, yeah, don't talk about that. When we, when we discourage people from talking about that, we end up uh, empowering their drive. Their, their desires kind of get together and, and, and there's so much like energy in them that they just direct it in this like It's like if, if, you, if you can't get what you want, then we're just going to wreck stuff. Ultimately, is kind of what ends up happening here. And when the drive is empowered, people destroy their bodies, people destroy their relationships, people destroy their careers, people destroy their finances, they destroy all sorts of things. And so I think it's really, really important to try to tune into the unconscious discourse through our, our really good listening. That's when we listen for not just the subject of the statement, but the subject of the enunciation. Another way to describe that would be saying we're trying to tune into the unconscious discourse and then we're trying to say things, make interpretations that cut into that, that repression and allow that discourse to kind of come up. And when it comes up, I mean, it's, it's not always pretty, right? Sometimes like, like letting things out of the unconscious is it, that might seem destructive, but my argument here, and this is the point of the principle is that, that, that it's, it's actually less destructive than it is to leave those things in the unconscious for a long time, because the longer they're down there, the more like pent up energy there is. And that's where the more pent up energy eventually comes out and it comes out oftentimes in extremely unexpected ways that are very inconvenient. And I think that's really bad for people. Um, a, a really simplistic way of describing what I think this principle is in, in couples work would be to say that it is a really good idea in the work that you do to attempt to try to get the couple to have the conversation, which is really difficult, the conversation they're avoiding the conversation that they unconsciously want to have, but consciously do not want to have, right? It's usually a very difficult conversation. It's a conversation which is going to be emotional. It's a conversation which is going to make people upset in some way. And so that's one of the reasons why people are avoiding it. I'm saying that's bad. Like we, there are certain conversations that although it will be hard to have them again, like the conversation about, should we have kids? Should we not? That was a hard conversation for that couple. The conversation about getting divorced, that was a hard conversation for that couple. But I think that they might have, I, well, I, I continue to work with one of them after that. I know that, that he says his life, he, he feels like is, is in a pretty good spot. I, I don't know about the other one, uh, the wife, I don't know what happened to her, but, um, yeah, anyways, uh, that, that's the point that I'm making here. So those are my, uh, my thoughts and my principles and kind of how I see them animating my practice. Uh, last thing that I'm going to talk about here for this week, and then this lecture will be done. I want to talk about, um, uh, the way that, that, that I speak as a therapist. And I want to make a couple things clear about this. When I talk, I don't talk as much, I think, as a therapist as I do as a teacher. Uh, I'm probably, I say a lot less as a therapist. I listen. I listen a ton when I'm doing therapeutic work. That's really important to me to really listen and try to tune into that unconscious discourse, to try to get some sense of the subject of the enunciation. When I, I feel like I have it, I never know when I feel like I have it, I do something which is called making an interpretation. And for now, I mean, there's all sorts of ways to make an interpretation, but I'm going to kind of cut it in, into two big categories. Some interpretations are interpretations that aim to take two things that are not together and put them together. That's one thing, right? It's a, it's an, this is what I call a suture, I think, uh, in, in our, our class today. is when you take something maybe from the past, for example, and something from the present, and you sense that there's some kind of connection between them and you bring them together and you stitch them together. That's one kind of an interpretation. 
The other kind of an interpretation is the interpretation that cuts, that cuts into that repression barrier. Um, now, when you cut into the repression barrier, it doesn't usually feel good for the person who experiences it because now stuff that they've been avoiding is coming out and they can't avoid it any longer. And that's kind of an uncomfortable thing. Um, and, and it has a particular effect of, of making the person realize something that they knew, but they didn't know, but they knew it. And, and you can kind of see that take effect. I would argue that right now there's a lot more of a privileging and of an emphasis being placed on taking things and suturing them together and less of an emphasis on cutting into things and, and couples work and probably an individual work too. And uh, the reason I bring that up is I, I wanted to say that I think that the interpretation that cuts is a really important skill to have. Uh, being able to bring up things that like uh, are going to be hard to talk about, that people are avoiding. It's going to be messy, right? Uh, it's going to sometimes cause a fight. And that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes having a couple have an argument in your office, which is probably a safe place, is not such a bad thing because they need to have that argument. They need to have that fight. They need to say whatever it is that they desire but have been repressing. And, and that that might be more effective and beneficial for them long-term than it would be to continue to improve their communication skills um, I'm putting air quotes around improve their communication skills. If improving their communication skills means improving their repression skills, that's not a good idea. That's not a good plan ultimately. Right. And uh, I think therapists sometimes focus more on suturing so that they don't have to do the cutting because cutting is hard and it doesn't feel good for the couple. It doesn't feel good for the therapist either. So anyways, that's uh that's what I was thinking about after we had our class today. I'm going to stop talking at you here. I hope that you found this to be useful and interesting and uh, I will hopefully record one more lecture before our class next week. It'll, uh, I don't know if I'll have time to do it. I really hope that I do. Um, uh, I will try. Uh, thanks for class today. Thanks for listening to this. I hope that I will see you all again real soon. Take care. <laughs>